Houston Restaurant News Today is brought to you by Roma. Join editor and publisher Phaedra Cook on Tuesday, November 2nd at 7 p.m. to celebrate during Houston Food Finders' fifth anniversary week at Roma, an Italian eatery in Rice Village. Enjoy three courses from executive chef Sandro Scarafile, such as braised lamb shank served with polenta and green beans, with wine pairings for only $69 plus tax and gratuity. Call 713-664-7581 and ask for the Houston Food Finder anniversary dinner to reserve. We kindly ask that only fully vaccinated guests attend this celebration. This is Houston Restaurant News Today, presented by HoustonFoodFinder.com. Today, Phaedra Cook talks to Sarah Troxell of the Toasted Coconut and Nobies about winning the annual speed rack competition and what she's been up to behind the bar. Now, let's join Phaedra Cook. Hi, this is Phaedra Cook, editor and publisher of Houston Food Finder. Speed Rack is a high-adrenaline bartending competition exclusively featuring women bartenders. The competition is initially held in national regions, and then the regional winners go on to a state and then a national competition. The first national competitions were hosted in New York City concurrently with the Manhattan Cocktail Classic, but after the demise of that annual event, they're now normally held in May, concurrently with the James Beard Culinary Awards. Of course, thanks to the pandemic, the in-person awards haven't happened for the past two years either. New York City bartenders Lynette Marrero and Ivy Mix founded the competition for two purposes, to showcase women bartenders and to raise funds for breast cancer charities. While there's been some strides in bartending, to this day, it's still often men who hold the most visible and highest paying jobs in the industry. This year marked Speed Rack's 10th anniversary, and it's raised over $1 million to fight breast cancer to date. I'll never forget the first time the Speed Rack competition was hosted in Houston in 2012. That was the Texas Regional competition. So women bartenders came from other cities to compete too, such as Austin and San Antonio. It was a lot of fun. It was loud and it was fierce. And many fans of Houston's cocktail scene came to cheer on the lady bartenders. I'll mention just a few of the women bartenders from Houston who competed that year because they are in fact still in the bartending field in Houston. Alba Huerta, who is now the owner of Julep and has been very successful doing that. Alba also actually went on to help judge the Speed Rack bartending competition many times. And Lainey Collum, who is now over at Monkey's Tail, she came back to Houston recently after being in San Francisco for a few years. Alba would go on to win the regional competition, Speed Rack Texas. In New York, she'd narrowly lose. And interestingly, it was to a fellow Houstonian who was representing the Big Apple because she had been working in New York. But by the time of the competition, that person, Yale Vengroff, had come back to Houston to work there for a while. So in a way, it was still a Houston win. Yale now works in L.A. There's a new generation of lady bartenders who have stepped up to compete, notably Elise Blackman, who, during her time bartending at Tunkut Sparrow, also went to nationals. 
Like Elba Huerta, she came a hair's breadth from winning nationally and landed in second place. A speed rec competition, like I said, is normally bustling and crowded. There's lots of people, plenty of cocktails and spirits to try. But with the pandemic, Mix and Marrero this year had to take a more subdued approach. That might be why this year's competition really seemed to fly under many people's radar. But the good news is that Houston bartender Sarah Troxel of the Toasted Coconut and Nobis, after years of practice and competition, is the new national champion. So let's hear from Sarah herself about the competition, her win, and what her plans are for the future. Sarah, thanks so much for talking with me about achieving a very long-held goal that you've worked very hard towards. How many years has it been now that you've been practicing and competing in speed rack? Oh, man. So, especially with COVID, that kind of extended the last season a little while. Um, I believe my first – I have to think about this. My first season was, like, 2016. I think this is – Maybe even before. No, 2016 sounds right. So this is the fourth season I've competed. So it's been about four years, but with the COVID extension. Were you already with Nobis when you first started competing? Yes, that's where I was working during my first competition with Nobis. And you're still at both Nobis and the Toasted Coconut these days, correct? Yes. I will say that I mostly just oversee the cocktails at Nobis. I don't get to work over there as much as I would like to. I'll occasionally get to fill in. Um, I definitely miss that space, but... My focus has been definitely on the toasted coconut. So let's walk through your progression. It just seems like every year you got one more step towards winning speed rack. The first year or two, how far did you get in the competition? So the first year I was actually super privileged to be introduced to Elise Fleckman and I got to train with her. Um, and when she, that year she totally crushed the competition. The first year, I made it on stage into the top eight, which I was truthfully super surprised by. I had really only been doing craft bartending for maybe a little over a year. So that was a super proud moment. I actually made it to the second round on stage. So I even made it through the quarterfinals to semifinals, which was pretty fun for a brand-new baby bartender. And that's kind of where my whole addiction to speed rack started. And the competitive nature in me was like, oh, this is really fun and you get to the camaraderie, and I'm still friends with people from that season, and I know people from Speed Rack across the whole world now. So that was kind of where it all started for me was that first event, and it was in Houston. Some people may remember Elise from when she worked at places such as Ten Cut Sparrow, mm-hmm. and she really was such a great cheerleader for you. And all the way until being in New York City with me and bringing me my bagel from Russ and Daughters before prelims. <laughs> yeah. so, like, she was there from every step of this journey, and I definitely owe her a lot of credit for motivating me and showing me her tips and tricks. Together, we just streamlined all the processes to try to be as fast as we can and as clean as we can and as skilled as we can. So it was really, really fun for many years getting to work with her. Now, in 2019, you won the... Speed Rack South Central Regional Competition. In Houston, yeah. In Houston again. Houston yeah, really so that was, it, it was. <laughs> and like that winning in my hometown was amazing. The feeling of the entire room being there for me was unlike no other. And, like, that sounds a little bit stuck up, but there was a few people from other parts of Texas to cheer on the other girls. I knew every person in that room almost. So that was really, really special. 
What year was it that you ended up in Chicago? I won that year in Houston, and I moved on to the national finals, and that was in Chicago. I did not make the top eight that year, so that was what motivated me to come to compete again in season eight. It was my goal the whole time to touch national stage. Obviously, I wanted to win nationals, but when I didn't touch national stage that year, I decided I couldn't give up, and I had to at least give it one more shot. Yeah, and I think uh, when you were in Chicago, I usually try and go during the Beard Awards, and I think that year was concurrent. It was. It was like the Beard Awards when there was a cocktail conference happening, so there was a lot of industry people in town. But we definitely may or may not, in parentheses, snuck into Big Star during a Beard Award party, but it's because our owners are Big Star royalty, so they just let us in. And two of our former writers, although they can come back at any time, Cook Lamb and Josh Armandaras are both huge fans of yours. Oh. And they actually got to see you in Chicago, and I know I that they've them. gone to several practice rounds. Yes, I love them so much. They have definitely been big supporters. They come to practices every season. They definitely came all the way to Chicago to ultimately watch me not compete, but it was really awesome. They've been really big supporters of me, and I love both of them, and Cook's food is amazing, and it's been really special getting to know them, just like through the industry and being friends and through Speed Rock. Since they got to see you in person that year, and I didn't, it's really nice for me to get the story from Josh on that and publish that article about it. That was really great for me. Now, some people may not understand what makes Speed Rack so hard, and that is you are randomly asked by a panel of judges to make four cocktails both as fast as you can and as accurately as you can at the same time, and you're judged on both speed and accuracy. And you don't know what they're going to call out. It's being called out from a list of how many? Like It's about uh, 80 drinks, yeah. I don't know. I can't remember the exact number. It's a big index, a big note card stack full. But it's about 80 drinks, generally all classics, some modern and some definitely like old school classics that you're responsible to know. You're better off having those cocktails committed to memory and like knowing them like the back of your hand. From this year when you won, do you remember what the last four drinks were that they asked you to make? So one thing about Nationals and the final round of Speed Rack in any region is they do dealer's choice cocktails. So for your regional competition, you'll do two classics and two dealer's choice. And basically one of the judges will say, I want something that's low ABV and refreshing, or I want something with mezcal that's stirred and boozy. And so then your creativity comes into play, whereas the rest of the competition is strictly skill. But the final round of nationals was for dealer's choice cocktails. So we actually knew two of the prompts just shy of a week before the competition, and then they gave us two of the prompts in the moment on stage, basically like 10 minutes before I did the round. So I had a little bit of time to prepare for two of them, and then I had did two on the fly. Wow. And that's another point. These drinks could all be completely, in fact, they're usually completely different. It could be stirred and boozy, citrusy. So your prep right. for each drink is kind of different. Right. And so that's kind of like where all the practice rounds come into play. It kind of helps you strategize for how you're going to attack each round. If it's two stirred cocktails, a swizzle and a shaken, I'm going to do them in a certain order. Or if they're shared ingredients, I'm going to try to make those next to each other so I can kind of link those ingredients together, only touch that bottle once. If there's an egg white, I'm going to make that first so I can get the egg and just be shaking it the whole rest of the time. There's like a lot of definitely strategizing that goes into play and 
it becomes more first nature and I don't have to think about it so hard. I can, they say the four cocktails, bam, bam, bam. I know exactly what I'm going to do in what order I'm going to do it. And I just start setting out my glassware and my tools and my garnish and stuff. What do you think your edge was to become the overall national winner this year? The girl who made it to the finals with me, Beth, from Chicago, she is so fast and really talented. I truly believe that my edge was uh, my years behind the bar at Nobis. Um The dealer's choice cocktail, it is not easy, especially when you're in the super stress situation of a, the finals of a national competition. It is not the same as sitting, being behind your bar and somebody calling a dealer's choice or bartender's choice cocktail. Yeah. But at Nobis, we our menu is three or four cocktails that change every week or two. So I was constantly, constantly, constantly creating. And when I first started that job, it was super intimidating. And it kind of took me a while to get into the groove of always creating new things and trying to do new stuff. But that program, 100%, is what gave me the edge up over best. Because I just have way more experience creating cocktails on the fly. I was surprised that the results of Speedrack really kind of snuck up on me. This year coincided with Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. Yes, they they streamed the competition as part of Tales of the Cocktail. It was actually originally supposed to be in New Orleans, but before even the hurricane happened, they had moved it to New York City. I think they felt more comfortable taking everyone to New York, so that's why it ended up being in New York, but it was streamed as part of the Tales virtual slash hybrid in-person event thing that was happening. Did the pandemic, both last year and this year, did it make things kind of weird or kind of difficult? Oh, yeah, big time. It definitely wasn't the same speed rack experience that any of us would have had outside of the pandemic. I can say that for sure. The speed rack nationals usually brings a crowd of 800 to 1,000 people, and due to COVID, we only had about 100-ish people in New York City. Not that they weren't loud and cheering and screaming. Um, it's not the same as 1,000 people, and it's Part of the fun of the Speed Rack event is all the brands come out and do super fun cocktail pop-ups and serves, and you can, like, taste test all these different things, and Delmigay is pouring Mezcal, and Fernet has a fountain, and it's all, all just a really fun event with swag and delicious cocktails, and you kind of, I kind of miss that part of it. Yeah, it's normally, like, just these huge, fun, really joyful parties celebrating women in bartending. Exactly. Definitely wasn't quite of the same, like, magnitude that I'm used to feeling from speed rack events. And that's not their fault. That's definitely just the nature of COVID being COVID. So it definitely was, like, a little bit of a bummer there. But we still had a really fun time. There was still brands serving a cocktail or two. It was just, like, on a much, much smaller scale. That's okay. What did you receive for winning? So I actually can't talk about my prize yet. Okay. But I will get to eventually. There's an NDA involved, and it's a really exciting project that I get to be a part of, basically, because I'm the Speed Rack winner. So as soon as I'm allowed to talk about it, I will. Uh, but Please do. Out, I'm intrigued. <laughs> outside, of that, outside of that, pride, national recognition. Bragging rights. Begin, <laughs> bra- bragging rights. I can't even begin to speak to how, like, having a goal for four years and working my literal butt off for it and then achieving it. I'm still not sure, like, three weeks later that I've fully unpacked that feeling. I think it'll be some time before I, like, fully realize what I did. But, yeah, all of that is worth more than any prize. Now that you have achieved this goal that you've worked towards, what's next? 
you know, my mom asked me the same thing. I'm not sure. I think it's truthfully taking the toasted coconut to the next level and continuing to open restaurants with Martin and Sarah and my partner, Jacob. That's, like, really all I want to do. I'm happiest in a restaurant, and I'm always excited about the next project. I don't know what that is yet. Neither do we, but that's definitely on the horizon for us. So. Yeah. Both Nobis and the Toasted Coconut, they already have a lot of fans who think you're pretty awesome as you are. So what does Next Level mean to you? Next Level means just taking our hospitality to the top, right? Like seeing the best at every single aspect of the space, throwing fun parties, taking the cocktails just as far as creative and as fun and as whimsical as we can, while all while still being approachable and like a fun, casual place, especially at Coconut. But I just want us to be the best we can be, and that's something I strive for every day. And I think that's strictly why I've been successful in my career, is because I'm never satisfied. We should talk about what the Toasted Coconut has to offer for people who perhaps have never been. Oh, yeah. So uh, Toasted Coconut is a beach bar in located in Montrose. Um, we're a beach bar and restaurant. Great food, great cocktails, all made from scratch, but it's a super fun, casual atmosphere. We're spinning vinyl and soon to be a real to real, um, but it's just a fun beach party. It's like you're on vacation in the middle of Houston. I get to go to work in paradise every day. What are the culinary influences and drink influences? So culinary influences definitely kind of lie along the equator. Basically, if you could eat it on an island, we have it. We're making our own pineapple buns for our burgers, which is like a quintessential bar food in Houston. I feel like you have to have a, a great burger on your bar. It helps soak up the, all the rum from the painkiller, but you can keep drinking. But pork dumplings, we're doing like crispy rice salad that's kind of Thai-inspired, and so they kind of take influence from anything that kind of lives along the equator. Latin America to Japan to, you know, Hawaii, tropical influences. The pork dumplings changed my life. For sure. Yeah, they're I, extremely I eat, good. <laughs> eat those like three days a week, probably. Yeah, they're absolutely not delicious. a joke. <laughs> yeah, drink influences anything tropical, anything you would drink by a beach, anything you would drink by a body of water on a cruise ship. I don't like to completely into the tiki box because we're definitely not like a traditional tiki bar. We definitely do classic tiki cocktails, olive beach sunberry, mai tai, and zombies, and all those fun drinks. We have a really talented team of bartenders that's super creative, so we like to just do our own light and refreshing and tropical flavored drinks all the way to like boozy, stirred, black strap, old fashioned. Now, obviously, rum is a predominant spirit with tiki cocktails. Do you like to mix it up a little bit and introduce a different spirit than rum to a traditionally tiki cocktail? Definitely. And like, that's what's fun about not being solely in the tiki box. We're doing gin cocktails, tequila cocktails, mezcal cocktails, Honey, brandy cocktails, I love whiskey and tropical drinks. For me, the sky's the limit, and I love rum, and we definitely have a lot of rum drinks, but I like playing with other spirits that you wouldn't normally find, like a, necessarily in the tropical flavor profile, your scotches, your bourbons, but they make really fun and unique, lots of depth, tropical drinks. If someone walks in the bar and they haven't been, and they ask you, tell me, Two must-order cocktails that really gives me the overall picture of this bar. What would you uh, That's a hard one for me, but one would definitely be the Vamos a la Playa. That's actually a drink that I put on the menu at Nobis when I knew we were opening a tropical bar in the Mezcal bar, but no one else did. So it was kind of like the first drink that was truly something inspired by how excited I was to be opening this, these spaces. And so it's Mexican rum, mezcal, pineapple shrub, which if you're familiar with 
me and my style of drinks, we do a lot. Of, I like to make a lot of shrub and lime juice, shake in, in daiquiri form. So it just has like a beautiful frothy texture from the pineapple, a little bit of funky rum from Michoacan, and a nice smoky mezcal. That drink for me is quintessential toasted coconut slash peyote, like tropical beach, Mexico island vibes. And that's one for me that will always stick out. For me, second one is probably, truthfully, our pina colada. We put a lot of work into making the best pina colada in town, and it is creamy, and we whip it in our milkshake mixer, so it gets super frothy, and it's served over crushed ice, so it's ice-cold, creamy, balanced, of house blend of rum. It's one of my favorite, favorite classics on the menu. It is such a classic, and so many people love that drink because it's just delicious. It always baffles me how there are so many bad pina coladas out there. How, I know. And it's- how do people screw those up? And that's something my parents and I were discussing while they were visiting us in Galveston this weekend. It comes down to quality of ingredients for me. And if you're using cheap, super cheap plastic bottle rum, and if you're using, like, whatever bottled lime juice, then our bottled lime juice, some pina coladas, they don't even use lime juice, but we like lime juice in ours for balance. Canned pineapple juice, you're just not going to have the same result as someone like the toasted coconut where we're juicing fresh lime every day, we're juicing fresh pineapple every day. We're using high-quality rum in our pina colada, a little bit of lime juice and coconut water to balance and just add to the overall flavor profile. We're not rewriting the novel here. We're just using good ingredients and making everything fresh. And so I think that's really what makes the difference between a good one and a bad pina colada. When you said plastic bottle rum, I felt a shudder go down my entire spine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like that, and you know, rum gets such a bad rap, and it's because there's so much bad rum out there. Yeah. And but there's also so much great, beautiful, nuanced, all the way from like funky, crazy high ester, beautiful, nuanced aged rum. There's a rum out there for everyone, I believe, and you just have to come to the coconut to find it. There you go, and there's <laughs> no better place to go find your rum. Exactly. You've got so much to choose from. So is there anything else that you would like for our readers and listeners to know? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I feel like you, you're a great interviewer and ask me all the good questions. Honestly. <laughs> um, for me, it's just like if you dream it, you can achieve it. And then that I'm living proof of that. Absolutely. And you worked so, so hard for this. And I'm so glad that you won. You absolutely deserve to. Me too. And, you know, sometimes a little obsessiveness when it comes to competition is okay might have been unhealthy at times but truthfully I was just only pushing myself to do better and that's why I won I think you're a fantastic example it's like if you really want something you've got to work hard for it and being a little obsessive is going to get you there so I just I think it's fantastic well thank Thank you you. so much for letting me interview you and spending your time with me I know you are very very busy so thank you so much thanks so much for having me Phaedra All right, well, take care, and I hope to see you soon. Yes, we'll talk soon. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Houston Restaurant News Today. To learn more about today's guest and everything that's tasty in Houston, visit HoustonFoodFinder.com every day. Join us again for Houston Restaurant News Today.